What if I told you that you were about to listen to another wrestling podcast? Are you ready? This is the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Join us as we take you through the ins and outs and everything you need to know in the world of professional wrestling. From NXT to Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Elite Wrestling, all the way to the main events of the WWE. Our thoughts, our perspective, and our predictions on the biggest topics and breaking news in the world of wrestling. If it's happening, we're talking about it. This is the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean McChesney and CJ Palmasano. Alright, let's get to it. Still in quarantine. Still in quarantine. God damn it! What is this, day 50? Jesus. 43! Is it 43? I don't know. I don't know. Who I'm cares anymore? This is the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Sean McChesney. CJ Palmasano. A uh, little bit to get to this week, CJ. There's not much going on, so we decided we put a little twist on this episode. Um, so we'll touch on a few things. The Money in the Bank location has officially been revealed. We'll give our thoughts on that. Um, AEW Double or Nothing, uh, for those of you... We, we discussed this the last time we were on the air together the possibility of the event being postponed or moved uh the event is being changed to a different location the mgm grand arena has decided no mas we're not doing it um they have uh announced that they are going to push they are going to have double or nothing in las vegas next year and anybody who has a ticket um can either refund it or they can go next year which i think is very nice of aw and the mgm grand to do that uh so we'll touch on yeah so we'll touch on that a little bit uh, the WWE 24-7 champion is now a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll touch on that as well. Um, on the, as, we're, as we're recording this with the NFL draft just eight hours away. Um, I didn't know which that. Is, it's actually a fun. Well, yeah, I actually got to leave like right after this to go to, to NFL radio and help with that broadcast. But anyway, oh um, so we'll touch on that a little bit later. And, of course, we CJ's- have a list. We have a list. You just made the list. Oh, no. <laughs> we have, uh, um, since being in quarantine, I've been watching a lot of the best, in my opinion, and this podcast's opinion, uh, well, whatever, the best wrestling matches <laughs> of 2020 so far. Uh, uh, Sean has kind of seen the mock-up version of this, but he has not seen the final version yet. So we'll get Definitely seen all these matches. Well, most yeah. of them. Yeah, we'll get and into that. And if not, that. I've seen the highlights of all of them. Oh, and another thing, speaking of lists, CJ, and I just I want to touch on this real quick because I texted you about it yesterday. Mm-hmm. The WWE Network released the top NXT TakeOver matches ever. Yeah. Which, for the most part, they pretty much got it right. I, I enjoyed all the matches. The one thing that I totally disagreed with was obviously you can't put every um, Gargano Champa match in there or else we'd be here all day. Yeah. You obviously got to pick one or two. They picked one. 
obviously you and I have gone on record and the majority of the world has gone on record saying that their first, well, technically their second match, yeah. uh, first their first in, match. in their NXT rivalry, right? Their first in their NXT rivalry, but their second match overall in New Orleans, the unsanctioned match was the best one they ever had. That they put the Chicago the street fight on the network. They put the Chicago street fight on the network instead, it's, which good match. Yeah, it's not good. The best. It's good, but it's definitely not their best match. Like the, oh. the t- New Orleans match is by far the best match they've ever had. By far, by far, unsanctioned. You had all the drama. Uh, it was, it was to the point where, and you normally didn't see this in NXT, where a rivalry was bigger than an NXT or an NXT women's title match where that match was the main event of the show. Like that was supposed to be Aleister Black's big night against uh, Andrade. He wins the championship, but he's overshadowed by Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, the hottest rivalry at the time. I know the time Um, they wanted to make like Aleister Black, like the guy and like kind of make him like, it wasn't it. And it wasn't his time. Like Finn Balor, like, like when Balor was holding the title for like almost over a year or so, but it's, funniest part was that rivalry basically happened the way it was by accident no one expected it to be that big nobody yeah i mean nobody really did it's the story was just that good it was just that that good good. and it's still like in my opinion the best story in nxt's history um it is the best storyline nxt's uh history and maybe my favorite storyline in wwe overall that's how much i love it Absolutely, and obviously that rivalry has come to a conclusion for now. I'm sure we'll be discussing Johnny Organo's change in character over the next couple of weeks as we start to see it build. Um, I saw bits and pieces of the Johnny Organo Candice LeRae segment last night. I, I thought it was pretty good. I saw that segment last night. I loved it, and I think the best part about it was just the fact that he had the cup he used in the match <laughs> at the dinner table, like in a, a like a vase like like the only thing i can think of is like the rose from beauty and the beast but, like like in that and the fact that i rewatched that match too and if you rewatch it candace gives johnny the cup before the match starts like you go back and watch on the network candace gives johnny the cup like she gives him something before the match starts before he walks in the building and ah. it's the cup i'm like oh my god so it's like if i didn't even pay attention to that but, um, I didn't even see that, actually. It's the first time I'm hearing about it. Yeah, rewatch it. Which, by the way, watching it on the network... Um, oh, much I, better? Much better. Liked it a lot better. The, com- the commercials just Right, because USA me, had all the commercials in it. Yeah, it took me out of it. But even though it, they didn't show anything extra, it was still like, okay, this is still a lot better than watching it on, on TV. Anyway, let's, let's get into the story yeah. that's been happening. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on that for a little bit because that really pissed me off yesterday. But anything. Hmm. Um, so we have a little bit of news in the wrestling world. Again, not a lot really happened this week. That's why we have our list. We're going to have a little fun uh, towards the end of the show. Um, Money in the Bank, their location has been announced. It's not going to be at the Performance Center. It's not going to be in whatever arena they had already announced it to be in before this pandemic started. It's going to be at the WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. To quote, um, Ollie, to quote Ollie Davis from WrestleTalk, Money in the Bank has turned into Die Hard. Honestly, yes. And I don't know what that means because I've never seen Die Hard. Come crucify me, please. I've seen some of the Die Hards, but I understand the analogy. But regardless, um, so... At the beginning when they announced this, now, it sounds like the whole pay-per-view is going to take place there, and the Money in the Bank matches will take place 
Um, well, obviously, the ring is set up on the roof, mm-hmm. how they have it, with the briefcases hanging up top. And I guess the matches will be up there, but the Money in the Bank matches separately will start on the ground floor. And the wrestlers will have to basically walk their way up the stairs or elevators, climb their way up. They're going to do a lot of crazy shit in this and get to the rooftop, grab a ladder in the ring and grab the briefcase. CJ, when they first announced this, I remember texting you and I said, interested, not excited yet, but I'm interested. I said this is freaking stupid. I said this is stupid. Yes, <laughs> but I. But it's it's growing on. It's honestly it's, it's growing on. It's me grown more. on. It's grown on me more. I took some time to think about it. I'm just like, you know what? This actually could be interesting because there's been some leaked fit, uh, photos uh, on the internet on Titan Towers of them building, uh, you know, the structures up on top of the of the building, and. One thing that I keep seeing all over the internet, because apparently, like, Sheamus is about to get into a few with Jeff Hardy, because uh, apparently he called him out in commentary uh, on last SmackDown episode. And I just want to see Jeff Hardy jump from the top of that, <laughs> of the railings that they've made <laughs> on top to secure the briefcase. Like, I just, I just want to see that. I just want to see Jeff, Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy's going to do a swanton bomb from the roof to the street. I, oh, God. Actually, don't... that would be Shane McMahon, actually. Shane McMahon would jump off his own father's building. No doubt about it. Jeff would too. They're both nuts. But, but anyway, this interests me for a few different reasons. Because again, I mean, I was watching WWE backstage the other day. And, and Beth Phoenix's comment made me laugh about this. Because it's obvious. She's like, well, it's a level playing field. Because no one's been in this type of match before. They never had this type of match before. It never had to happen. But it's interesting. Because it, it shows that WWE is getting a little creative with the pandemic, it's like, all right, we don't have much to work with, but this might be an interesting tool. Um, but she is right. I mean, we've never seen this type of match before. Ricochet actually had one of the best comments on the Instagram page when they first announced it. He said, this might actually be lit AF. Um, <laughs> and I agree with him. This might actually be pretty cool to watch. I mean, it obviously depends on the the field, and the field hasn't been fully set yet. Um, for what they've announced, it looks pretty good to me for both sides. And it really depends what we see in the type of match. Like, for example, you know, how many people are going to be thrown through conference room windows? Uh, how many people are going to be thrown downstairs? How long is it going to take for the first wrestler to get to the rooftop? You know, sort of thing. So it's going to be a little interesting. I'm personally going to watch it. I think it it could be very good. Now, we know WWE. They can easily screw this up. We know that. Um, but I'm interested. I will be watching it. I, I've been interested since the beginning, but I, it is starting to grow on me now, CJ. I really think this could be something very creative, very fun to watch. Not that they would do it when the pandemic is over, but they can always have it in their back pocket if they ever need it. It's very interesting to see. Um, I'm just looking through the card here and just seeing who are the current competitors for the matches. Right now for the women's match, we have Asuka, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and, and Sasha Banks with one more match to determine uh, the final competitor. And for the men's match, we have Daniel Bryan, Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, Apollo Crews, King Corbin, and... Uh, oh, it says uh, Apollo Crews versus King Corbin, or... Or Drew King Corbin or Drew Gulak versus uh, final competitor. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not Lacey Evans and Sasha Banks. It's Lacey Evans or Sasha Banks. Um, I would say I'm, I'm trying to think like who could be the final competitors, and I would say throw Kevin Owens in the men's match because I just think him 
he he would fit very well with the Money in the Bank briefcase, whether he's a heel or babyface. But knowing WWE, they would just give it to Corbin, just doing something stupid like that. I see them putting it back to him. uh, Oh yeah, he won. That's right. Hey, you forget that he won it. I forgot he won it. Yeah. Um. Oh, please, please don't do it again. Um, the funny part was that was at a time that he was actually red hot. Everybody wanted him to win. He was the favorite to win. He was the only one that made sense to win. And then they botched it completely. Well, it was his own fault. I, I wouldn't say he was red hot. I would just think that out of all the competitors at the time, everyone's just like, yeah, it seems like Corbin. He made the most like, sense. He's the one who, who made the most sense. Every, like, it was also too at the time when it was it, the Money in the Bank pay per view SmackDown exclusive, so the Raw people weren't even in it. So out of everybody on SmackDown, it made sense for him to win. I also think they're still keeping up the whole thing of kayfabe because AJ hasn't just been seen in the, since WrestleMania. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you well, know, you also got to remember he's got a wife and kids. He probably wanted to go home. It was probably yeah. just their way of writing him off TV for a while. Yeah, maybe he just wanted to see. He's like, you know, maybe he's one of those people who's just like, you know what? I want to stay home during this whole thing. I don't want to come back. Maybe he's actually dead. No, AJ's not dead. He's stre- <laughs> well, he's he's streaming on what you call it. I don't know about on Twitch, but on uh, you also on, have to remember Mixer. too. They, they you also got to remember the OC's gone. So like Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows were part of those releases. So they're probably figuring out his character again. Not that they really have to figure anything out, but it's like, all right, what do we do with AJ now that Gallows and Anderson are gone? That's pro- that's also another reason why he's probably out. Yeah, they're probably speculating. You know, when they when he comes back, is he going to be a babyface? Is he going to still be a heel? Right. Um, I would say bring him back as a babyface, because really doesn't matter. I mean, he does well with both. Yeah, he's just he's one of the best in the world, so it doesn't matter. Um, exactly. And then we have Drew versus Seth Rollins, Bailey versus Tamina of all people, uh, Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt, not the Fiend, but Bray Wyatt for the Universal Title. Um, I'm guessing they're probably. I don't know why. Like after the Fiend has just vanquished John Cena, that he wouldn't just go after the Universal Title himself. Bray Wyatt is the fiend, but I can probably see the feud being extended because it'd probably be like Bray's like, I was so silly. I have the fiend. And then he'll just be Braun for the title. You um, think that that match would be like, cause I can't see Bray losing despite not being the fiend. Maybe that first match ends in like a DQ or a count out or something like that. I mean, they could do something fun again. Like they did with Cena. I don't know. Um, I can't see that being for a title though. I get what you're saying, but like, okay. I don't know. Cena and Bray, they made it work because they had history and they taught a lot of things into it. And I understand Braun and Bray have history too because Braun was brought in by Bray Wyatt, but mm. I don't know. I can't see it working, especially for a title match. Maybe I'm wrong. I just, I maybe I'm traditional. Shoot me. I don't know. But, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I guess, moving on to the next couple of stories. Uh, Double or not, we talked. We talked about this. Double or nothing is going to be moved to an undisclosed location. We're not sure where it's going to be just yet, but uh, it appears the most likely place they'll be doing it is Daly's place. If not, then they'll probably try and do this in Duman, Georgia again. Because I think I I did remember reading something that if AEW can't do. Uh, it, in in Florida, then they're gonna try and become an essential business in Georgia, I believe. Right. Something like that. Uh, I think we touched on that. Any any person who bought a ticket to this year will go over for next year. Uh, just kind of briefly brushing over that. Um, so, in, in hindsight, thinking about it, I'm really glad they put the title on Moxley Revolution. Yeah. 
Because I agree. I, as 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 great as Jericho is with the title, Moxley was white hot, and people could have been may have been lukewarm on him after a while. It still might with him with the championship. Maybe. I mean, but I get. I think that's just the current situation. Yeah, but again, I mean, you don't know what when this is all over, and who knows when this is all over, how some of these wrestlers are going to be reacted towards. I mean, I think Moxley will be fine, but like you said, who's to say they didn't put that title on him at Revolution? Who's to say that Jericho goes over, and then this huge pandemic happens, and then all we know, Moxley, not that he's ever buried, I don't think he'd ever be buried in AEW, I think he'll be one of the top stars for years and years to come, but who's to say he doesn't get that top spot for a while ever again? Who's to say it doesn't take him two or three years to get back to the top? I think, now that I think about it, probably when we can go back to shows again, I think that everybody, and I mean everybody, will get a big reaction because everybody will just be so happy. And the crowd, wherever that first show will be for AEW, or wrestling show, wherever, will (laughs) will be white hot and will be happy that we can all see wrestling again. You know, Who knows if that show's gonna happen either. Yeah, we're. Just, I say there's a Which, good chance. I say there's a good chance that it will. A good. It, sh- I could see it, but at the same time, we got to be practical. That show is sold out for twenty thousand people. Who's to say they don't split the capacity in half? Maybe. Might and spread everybody out. That's my guess. Now, here's another thing that I just thought of with AEW. We were supposed to have the blood and guts match about a month ago. Um, yeah. My 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 speculation was it would happen at Double or Nothing in front of. They're going to do it in front of a crowd because it's like they're not doing this match until it's a hundred percent safe to do it. They've already said that, so they're going to save this for a big time event, big time atmosphere. Um, if it's not Double or Nothing and it's not going to be the Nork Show on July twenty second, we might have to wait. How much longer can we wait for this before we're just like we don't care anymore? It's a good point, but I think if they have to wait as long as they can, then it's possible they could push it all the way to all out. Could if there is an all out in September, I think there would be, but who knows? We 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 don't know with the circumstances, but it is interesting because it's like you're gonna have to do that build all over again because not everybody is at these shows. You can't really do the build right now. True, I mean, I don't mean, get me wrong. The inner circle segments on AEW have been hysterical, but I mean, they're not feuding with the elite right now. Technically, no. I mean, Cody's going after the the new mid card title, the TNT title. Uh, Kenny is kind of there, but he's kind of not. Hangman's at home. The Bucks are at home uh, because California. Hardy's at home now. Matt Hardy's at home, um, and I apparently Matt and Nick Jackson had a match against each other on being the elite. And I'm so far behind on being the elite, and I'm so far so, behind on AEW, and that's that's amazing for me to say because I love I would watch a I would watch you know AEW every single week and uh, being the elite every um, religiously. I was watching being the elite when it first started when they were you're ha- the one when, that got me into being the elite, and I binge yeah. watched like 95 episodes or no like 140 episodes just to catch it was, up. It was so great watching at the time because they were in court. Eventually, it was just it was the Bucks and Kenny just a vlog of what they did on tour in Japan. And then eventually they got more, uh, Adam Cole to join. They got Marty Skrull, Cody killed joined. Yeah, yeah. They killed that son of a bitch, Adam Cole. <laughs> it's actually, um, I, I, you know what? I, and I just uh, backtrack a little bit. I, I'm trying to catch up on being the elite too. And there's an episode where uh, Nick is talking about 
uh, dealing with his injury, the birth of his new child. And he goes, I've just been playing a lot of video games. I actually got this from uh, a friend that's now dead, uh, Adam Cole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a friend who's now dead. I got this. So they're, they're still caveaming. I actually think one of the funniest moments of being the elite was uh, when they watched Adam Cole debut in NXT and they were like, we thought he was dead. Yeah, that was great. They're like, no way. <laughs> That's 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 freaking funny. Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, I gotta catch up on that too. I do um, too. I probably I, this is like a three part thing, and like I think the Bucks kind of took advantage of maybe like uh, with the whole. I don't know if they actually had an actual match and just filmed it the way it was, or if they had some fun with it, like with the Boneyard match and Firefly Funhouse and Gargano and Champa. I saw bits and pieces. I didn't see the whole thing. It looked more like your classic false count anywhere match. Okay, and again, I think Nick and Matt are just trying to have some fun, and they're just trying to. Put some content out there for people and just, you know, make the fans happy, you know? I did um, see a clip of their kids watching from a window, which I thought <laughs> was actually really funny. And it's like, it's like, uh, at one point, it's like, come here, you prick. And then you just turn back to their kids and they're, they're watching in the window, like all scared. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I got to try and watch some of that later on today. A uh, few other things that happened. Uh, the Revival, their new tag team name is called The Revolt. Uh, I think their names are now Dax Harwood and um, damn it, I'm I gotta look this I'm up. Real quick. Uh, the revival. My phone can actually work, please. Government shut down all Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> please, please no. Okay, so the revival's new names. Uh, they oh fear the revolt. FTR, uh, Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood, Dash Wilder being Cash Wheeler, Dax Harwood being Scott Dawson. So now, uh, apparently, there's already been a tag team called the Revolt, and they've been wrestling in a indie company in the past five years, and they've kind of called out the revival on it. And apparently, they've had some fun with it too. I think it was uh, formerly Dash Wilder. Uh, Cash Wheeler, I think he said, like, hey, kid, if you need some ideas with merchandising, you know, you come talk to me or whatever. Just kind of having some fun with it, but I think now they're called Fear, Fear the Revolt, FTR. Uh, they released a video with, like, new entrance music and Say Yeah is in there. I haven't heard it yet, but uh, it's on uh, Cash Wheeler's uh, Twitter page, and I this is gonna, that's going to take me a while to get used to, to call them by these new names. It was seemingly easy for me to go like yeah John Moxley because he used to be John Moxley but now it's like these are new names it's going to take a, it's going to take some time to get used to um yeah. what do you think of the John new Moxley name? we already knew about I like him it's a nice change of pace I like the revolt name as well um I mean, really for me it doesn't matter I mean they could have went as the revival and had the same character names for all I care I mean it, the, the important thing is they're in a new company fresh start they're probably much happier oh they're not in a new they company will be yet. much happier well, they, you know they're going to be. You know they're yeah. going to be. Yeah. Um, they're going to be much happier there. I can't wait for them to face the Young Bucks. Can we please have that night one? Um, <laughs> it doesn't. It really doesn't matter to me what they're called. The most important thing is that they're actually being utilized properly and they're happy. And, and to me, too, when you're happy, you, you work harder. And I think that's in any profession. So as a professional wrestler, if you're happy, you'll work harder and you'll you'll do you know, you'll do it for you. You'll do it for the people. If you're not happy, like in WWE, shouldn't be there. And it's a shame that uh, Vince McMahon and, and the corporate team at WWE hasn't learned that part yet. Yeah, um, because because their latest gimmick was going to be 
I, I saw the pictures of them, and it just, they were in different mock costumes of them in, like, what only I can describe as, like, freestyle dancing, oh like, God. video. Like, you know those ridiculous clothes in, like, the 80s and the early 90s where, like, they 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 have like a uh, a cardboard on the floor and you you break dance on it. DJ, like, I just actually got a good idea. Here's what I want to do with you in the next couple episodes. We're gonna make a list, a big list, all superstars that should have never left NXT because I believe the revival are are two of them. Yeah, we um, should we should make. I, I want to do that with you in the next episode or two. We're gonna make a list of all superstars in our opinion that should have never left NXT because we were great. talking about it yesterday too. I'd really like to do that with you. Awesome, yeah. Let's do it. But, All right, so we'll do. So that's a little tease for the next mm-hmm, couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, Dash Wilder was going to wear a big giant clock like Flavor Flav. Oh my god! Yep, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. I'm glad they they turned it down. And I guess that was the last thing Vince was going to do with them before they left. Like, it. He really doesn't learn, does he? When you when you try and publicly hum, publicly humiliate people who are going to leave your company, you're only going to build sympathy for them when they go jump ship somewhere else. And, you, and they're only going to like not hold back when Chris Jericho is the first one to talk to them. It's only happened at least four to five times. Yeah, by now. and they're only going to get more over that way. They're only going to get more over. The best thing for you to do is just to not use them. That's it. If you don't want to release them. And you want to wait till their contract ends? Fine, just don't use them. Like that's not under- I don't understand. They did with with Mox, with, Mox with, got over, Brody Lee got over. Um, I mean, Brody Lee got over in the Colt Cabana podcast. That's the classic, Bro- obviously. I mean, Bro- Brody Lee didn't do anything. They didn't do anything with him before his release. Like he was just at home. Moxley, they tried pu- burying him on the way out, and that's apparently what they wanted to do with the revival too. I don't. I, I think because maybe the revival and 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 Moxley were very more open with how frustrated they were, whereas Brody Lee was just. I think he was too, but it's just like. Well, I think I the know. problem with Brody Lee's was he was supposed to be released a long time ago, and Vince kept adding more dates to his contract, which would piss anybody off if they were trying to leave. Well, I, um, well, well, yeah, but he. It's also like, oh well, you know, you were out for this long, so you got to make up that time. It's it's a it's a whole bunch of. Of crap that they they don't want to deal with, and they're just like ah, but technically they can do it because they're under contract. But um, I think that's all like the main important stuff to get into as far as it's it's very slow as far as the news with with wrestling, at least at least for me. So anyway, I agree. Let's get into this list. You just made the list. You just made the list. Uh, this is no! uh, I made this list up, and. Again, I mentioned earlier, Sean had seen the mock-up version, but it's not the final version. The final version he is hearing along with all of you. I have some honorable mentions, though. Just going to get them very, very quickly. Moxley versus Jericho Revolution. Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair Takeover. Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley WrestleMania 36. Pack versus Orange Cassidy at Revolution. Gargano versus Champion in their finale on NXT TV. The Fiend Bray Wyatt versus Daniel Bryan in the Royal Rumble. Becky Lynch versus Oscar in the Rumble. Undertaker versus AJ Styles in the Boneyard match. DIY versus Mustache Mountain and Worlds Collide. Keith Lee versus Dominic Dijakovic at Takeover Portland. Rollins versus Owens at WrestleMania and John Moxley versus Lance Archer at Wrestle Kingdom 14 Night One. 
Uh, a few of these were on the original list, but I'm just like, you know, I have to swap them out. So I was going to say a few of those were on the real list too, but yes, I tend to agree. So number 10. And it, it. <laughs> Firefly Funhouse, the fiend versus John Cena. WrestleMania. Probably should rank this higher. I did have this match a lot higher, but I figured like there probably are going to be some people just like, why do you have it so high? It's not a real match. If Meltzer and Alvarez listen to our podcast, which they don't, but selfishly, honestly, I would put this at number one because I loved it so much. It's my favorite thing from WrestleMania. So because it is my favorite thing to come out of WrestleMania, I had to put it on the list at least somewhere and think about it. But there aren't actual lot of actual much better real matches that happened uh, so far this year that I had to rank higher. Um, like I said, this is my favorite thing that came out of WrestleMania. My favorite, like match like real match was probably Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair and that was on the list but I love this so much more I think with this one too maybe I would have ranked it like 9 or 8 just because again I loved it so much but I understand where you're coming from and there's a lot of people out there that really don't understand what this match was the people that do understand it will probably rank this match of the year when it's all said and done the people that don't We'll probably say, all right, it was a good segment, but I'm not really understanding the story. Well, we explain the story on this podcast. You should go back and do it. The story of the whole story. Yeah, the whole story was they tie everything into these 15, 20 minutes that they went at it. From the beginning of Cena's career where he almost got released and failed to the Doctor of Thugonomics where they actually made him look more like a villain than he really was. Mm -hmm. Um to the NWO segment where you know they they remade Hulk Hogan coming out after Bash at the Beach with the world title um and making him you know Cena look like a heel um reenacting the, the WrestleMania 30 match, re- reenacting right reenacting WrestleMania 30 where Cena should have turned heel with that steel chair and didn't and he actually tried it this time and Bray Wyatt was one step ahead of every single segment and then you finally get to the match and then Bray squashes Cena so if you actually understand the story oh and you also got to understand total bellas and total divas unfortunately but bray Wyatt makes a reference to that too if you understand just just the relationship with him and nikki bella that's about it right so if you understand all of those parts of story and then you go back and watch the match again i promise you you're gonna love it i promise yeah it's just for anybody who has just been a fan of bray wyatt who knows how creative he is how brilliant his mind is just the best character uh character wrestler that they have and and he's great in the ring too don't get me wrong but like but he is just so good with character work he's so good with putting things together and it's probably the best work of his WWE career uh you know ever this this whole masterpiece of of a match again like this was ranked a lot higher originally on my list it was like in the top 5 but i had to put it just like just be, it wasn't an actual match compared to the rest of these, but I love it so much, I had to put it somewhere, so I'm like, alright, I'll put it at 10, because I know there's going to be some people out there just like, it's not a real match, why are you putting that, whatever, but I had, but I'm putting it on here, because it wasn't not going to come on here, I had to, I absolutely had to, but let's get into into, uh, the rest of the matches, number 9 is Imperium versus Undisputed Era at Worlds Collide. That was awesome. I freaking love this match it's gonna be a bit of a theme uh for the next few uh with with the uh, next some of these matches and uh 
bit of a spoiler if you could figure that out. But this was a match that I thought that Imperium needed to win. They needed to win because when you think about NXT and NXT UK, NXT is far more superior in the brand and the people who watch it. Whereas NXT UK, there's a lot of great wrestlers on there. You know, all of Imperium, Walter, uh, Alexander Wolf, uh, Fabian Eichner, Marcel Bartel, uh, you know, Elon Dragunov was on that pay-per-view too, and he was great. Mustache Mountain versus DIY was a great match too. You know, Trent Seven, Tyler Bate, uh, you know, Kaylee Ray, Piper Nevin, Tony Storm. You know, these are all uh, Jordan Devlin, who ended up winning the NXT Cruiserweight title that night. These are all great guys and girls who are great workers, but Imperium needed this match to solidify them as a dominant faction, and I don't know if this was planned or not, but Alexander Wolf just getting knocked out by Fish and, uh, sorry, uh, Fish and Strong, that kick to the head, and I do believe it was real because... Alexander Wolf just barely kicked out, and like I think the ref, I, I think uh, the referee had to stop the count because he wasn't getting up in time. So the fact that they won the match three guys to one, in a kayfabe standpoint, that just makes them look even more dominant. And they again, it's just a match that they needed to win, and so much stuff happened in this match. Like, I uh, agree with this. I, oh, sorry, CJ, finish. No, the only thing I was going to say is that like um, I think it was didn't Roger Strong like. Uh, uh, slam Walter through one of the announce tables, or they, they they put Walter through an announce table in this match. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Go ahead. That's yeah, all I want to say. Sure that happened, but but okay, but I agree. And you know, just looking back at some of the stats of this match, this match went almost 30 minutes, and I agree with you. I mean, this was a match that Imperium had to win to solidify themselves as a dominant faction. We already had the Undisputed Era; they were on TV in the United States. We were familiar with them, and not that we weren't familiar with guys like Walter, and we knew of Alexander Wolf as well. He was insanity. Exactly, but at that same time. We had been waiting for this match. Obviously, they were two heel factions, but we always said, what if we had a scenario where we had Imperium versus the Undisputed Era? And finally, this Worlds Collide pay-per-view happens because obviously they didn't have a takeover before the Royal Rumble. This was their version of takeover that night, the night before the Rumble. And I remember the buildup, and I I can't exactly remember how it started. I I don't remember who attacked who, but I remember saying... The the start was after Walter defeated Joe Coff... uh, Coff or Coffee? Yeah, Joe Coffee at uh, TakeOver Blackpool 2. uh, Era came out and attacked Walter. And then Imperium tried tried to help out, and then they, they took down Imperium. So they were. So, they, so were they invaded the, the UK to do that, and then yes, Imperium yes. came to NXT the next week, and yep. that, and it was it from there. By the way, did uh, did Adam Cole's chest ever recover from that slap? I don't think I, it ever did. I don't know. That is probably Walter's nastiest chop he has ever done. And the funniest thing is, Adam Cole probably asked for it. He said, "I want you to slap me as hard as you've ever slapped anyone before." Probably, yeah. And because uh, Adam Cole's a, a normal human being done. that would kill, a normal human being that would kill. Just for the record, yeah. I anyway, mean, it, uh, but I agree. I thought it was. I thought it was a great match. I thought it had basically everything you could have ever asked for. I thought it was a fantastic main event that closed the show. And so. like you said, Imperium had to win. They did win this match. I think it solidified them as a dominant faction um, going into obviously the later year. But again, obviously now with the pandemic, we don't really get to see them as much anymore. But 
nonetheless, I agree with you. This was an outstanding match. I think it sits best at nine. I would agree with you on that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Didn't want to put it too high, but it definitely had to come on here. I actually had it off the list for a bit because there were other matches, but I'm like, no, I gotta put this. It was just, it was just too much fun. And you had it as an honorable mention when you first sent it to me. Yeah, originally when I was working on it, it was on the list at like ten, but I'm like, I then I took it off, but now I had to put it back on. But this is one that just made the cut late last night from oh. NXT from NXT Takeover Portland, the Broserweights versus the Undisputed Era. That match I, was fantastic. I was rewatching this last night. And Do you like, hear, by the way, that the Broserweights took Triple H's private jet to Portland that weekend? I I mean, I saw the segment. <laughs> they, they snu- that was so great. They snuck underneath the jet. <laughs> and then and then Triple H just listened to music, and it, it, you hear Motorhead the game playing. Oh, my God. I such, have, He's such a character, Matt Riddle. And he's been able to have Pete Dunne do great stuff with him, too, with these segments. I was a person who has very much been like, you know, I don't necessarily buy into Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle being a tag team. They would serve much better as singles guys for the takeover that was going to happen in Tampa. But um, but eventually I just grew to love them as a team, and I miss that Pete Dunne is stuck in the UK and that Matt Riddle can't have funny segments with him. This tag match... I was like, damn, I forgot how good this was. Because I've only, I've never actually rewatched it up until last night. It was so good, so much fun. And one thing, as much as everybody loves the Undisputed Era, they are so good at being the heels in the match. They're so good at it. Doesn't matter if they get a huge pop before they come to the ring, and they're the bat, they're the clear. Like every, before the match starts, they're the clear-cut favorites from everybody. They're the cool heels, but when they're in that ring, they are able to get the baby faces over as baby faces. They're also able to find ways to get the crowd to turn on them. And I remember telling you this uh, back when Johnny Gargano won the NXT Championship. You remember in Brooklyn that Adam Cole had a bigger reaction or, yeah. or bigger fear than uh, Johnny Gargano did. And by the end of the match, the Barclays Center was booing Adam Cole out of the building. And everybody was on Johnny Gargano's side. That's how good the Undisputed Era is to turn a crowd against them. They usually yeah. come out right as the cool heels. Everybody's cheering for them. But by the end of the match, they're being booed out of the building. That is how good they are at their craft. They are excellent. Every single one of them are just so damn good at what they do. Uh, I mean, just before the match even started, you had the, the Broserweights came out in the, uh, what do they call it, the Bromobile? The little golf cart? <laughs> <laughs> and they had the cup in the back, and friggin' uh, they had the shirt. How much fish could Bobby Fish fr- fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish? And they were doing a sing along before the match started. Um, I I remember thinking, I'm like, man. At first, I thought the Undisputed Era was gonna win the match, but when I was watching it, I'm just like, no. I thought there was gonna be a heel turn in this match. Uh, you almost thought too, because of the the miscommunication uh, between Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne twice. I'm like. Yep. But the crowd was just so hot. I'm like, no, they got to put the tag titles on them. They got to. Because no other title had, no other title had changed hands. I think one has to. And I'm like, yeah, it ended up being the tag titles. But this but this was so great. Um, a team that I never expected to be so great together, and they are. The, it's just that odd pairing, the complete total opposites. Be you know those buddy cop type of it's it's a similar thing to like Gold Dust and Booker T two complete polar opposites but they work so well together and opposites attract yeah and not to say like you know 
Dunn and Riddle are like Booker and Goldust. They're completely different characters, all four of them. But they just mesh so well together, and they have great chemistry with O'Reilly and Fish. And when this is all over, I hope we get to see them have more matches. Uh, hope um, Pete Dunn see him back when this is all over, because yeah, it was just so damn good. So I'd like I, to see. I personally like to see the rematch in Boston in August. If they're gonna have the takeover in Boston, I hope they do. Um, I'd personally like to see the rematch there. I agree with you, and and I'll keep this at eight too. I actually think it's perfect there as well. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you agree with these next two in the spot in the spots that they're in. Same, but but next I have. Kenny Omega versus Pac in the Iron Man match on AEW Dynamite. Interesting. Um, with the following match, you may think, why are these two here? I... And I'll explain in a minute. This is seven and six. You're just going into it at the same time? Not at the same time, but it was hard to pick which was going where. Some people listening to this be like, well, Omega and Pac was way better than the following match. So we'll talk about Omega and Pac first. I remember that this t- this feud had kept going on and on. Pac wanted a match with Omega so badly, but Omega was preoccupied going after the tag team titles or was tag team champion. This so, was the this was leading up to the Young Bucks match. This yes, this was leading up to their match the, in Revolution. This was the go home dynamite before this, Revolution. And they opened the show with this for like almost forty minutes. These guys were killing each other. Pack and Omega are two of the absolute best wrestlers in the world. And if anybody needed any reminding of that, this match is to show it. They were killing each other. The friggin' uh, moonsault from Pack onto the table on Kenny. Uh, the amount of V-triggers Pack took in this match. I remember just sitting downstairs on my couch, watching this, going crazy. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe they are not only opening with this match, but they are showing this on live television for free. Dynamite this is, rocks. This is a pay-per-view quality match, and the people at home and the people in the crowd that night were getting to watch it live on tele- a television episode. That is absolutely amazing. CJ, that's the match they could have had it all out if they had more than 10 days to build it. Dead honest, you wouldn't have Oh, absolutely. That. It was much better than their all-out match. Oh, yeah, well, of course, because you didn't have much time to build it. Everyone mm-hmm. was still pissed that Moxley was out. The match was obviously, the, the match in All Out was making sure that everyone knew that Pac had arrived and also at the same time that Kenny Omega was still preoccupied on John Moxley, and that's why he lost the match. That's all that match was. Not to say it wasn't good, yeah. but it wasn't the Iron Man match on Dynamite. <laughs> like, they had time to build this one. They did it right. Excuse me. No, they did. They built it right. Absolutely, Kenny Omega and Pac proved why they are the two of the best wrestlers in the world, and I would love to see these guys huge for the AEW title one day. Um, just again, the the crazy match that these guys put themselves through when they both had pay per view matches, the uh, the that leading into that Saturday at Revolution. Um, I mean, we briefly, ta- I've said how Pac and Orange Cassidy is an honorable mention, and that was a great match too. Uh, surprisingly just, it would, yeah surprisingly I'm just like someone who is so super serious in pack and someone who is not serious the complete opposite Orange Cassidy it, it works so well but so well together Omega and pack I could watch forever uh, it, 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 it tied into the storyline with the Young Bucks being out there even though they're opponents that Saturday um, a man's allegiance as well mm-hmm. it's just 
I, I hope they do stuff like this continue to come because it's probably the best match I've seen on free television in a very, very long time. For but you have that as seven. I want to hear what you have at six. This is hard, but I'll kind of explain why I kind of have it above. At six, I have Champa versus Cole at NXT Takeover Portland. Again, you that can is kinda, tough. It, it's they they were both so good, and you can argue that Pack and Omega was probably the better match. But this was the match where I was fully convinced they were going to put the title on Champa. Everybody was. I figured they were going to put the title on Champa, but they didn't. Um, this match was building since Champa came back from his injury. Um, Coming back from his injury way earlier than anybody ever expected. He's looking like a million bucks. Adam Cole's the NXT champion. Arguably, you know, you got the two greatest NXT champions in history in the ring together. Champa is fighting for Goldie back. He's fighting for his life back, his livelihood back. Era tries getting involved and he takes down all of Undisputed Era. The amount of false finishes there were in this match, the the super kicks, the kicks, the Canadian destroyer outside of the ring. Um, just everything was, it was the best match on that show from, in my opinion, Cole, Cole and Champa, it was the best match on that show. And it was leading. You would think that this is, I figured I'm just like, you know what? Maybe they're striking while the iron's hot, you know, just put the title on Champa and then he'll go into, to new Orleans. I mean, uh, Tampa into as the champion, maybe he'll feel with Cole again. I don't know. But a part of me is just like, you know, I don't get why they wouldn't just say this for Tampa if they were going to put on 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 uh, on Champa. I don't understand. And then we all saw Johnny Gargano came out. He grabbed the title from Champa, looked at the title, thought about it, and whacked Champa in the head. And Johnny Gargano cost Tommaso Champa the NXT Championship. So it was that because it led to the finale of their story. Um, so I'm maybe wondering why I don't have Champa versus Gargano in this match because I don't feel like the story is over. It was a little rushed, maybe, to put them back this soon for Tampa uh, for the takeover in Tampa. Um, I and. It just wasn't the match we wanted to see, that the end of the story, unfortunately. We wanted that in front of a capacity crowd, made eventing a takeover, like mm-hmm. not maybe not like a loser leaves NXT, but we wanted something to know that this was it, and this isn't it. I feel like it, obviously it's going to be I, done for it's going to be done for a while, but it's not I think. done. I think it's going to be done for a long time. That's what I think. I don't think they're so, going to be done. It, I agree with you. It's close. Here's why I would flip the two. Both matches were insanely good. I agree. Cole versus Champa, best match on Portland. And obviously you had uh, the Iron Man match. The reason I would put the Iron Man match over the Cole and Gargano, or Cole and uh, Champa match, for a couple of reasons. Number one, Cole and Gar- Cole and Champa was very good. But you had that sneaky cheating to win ending, which was very good. And it set up Gargano Champa, but you still had that ending. And number two, you said it before, they gave you the match of the year on AEW on live television for free. And it was insane. It sold a show. It opened the show. 
And those two went at it for 30 minutes and beat the ever-living shit out of each other. And you had a bunch of storylines in it at one time. You had the Bucks and Hangman involved as well. Um, it is close, but th those two reasons alone is why I would put the Portland match at seven and the Dynamite match at six. Screw it. That's how it is now. Is <laughs> why you have Cole, me. Cole and Chip are at, are at seven. Pack and Omega are at six. All right. This is our podcast. We can do what we want. We can do what we want. You convinced me. You convinced me. You I'm go. not going to. why you gonna, have me. I'm not going to do that right now because it's going to take me a few minutes to do. Anyway, get into the top five now. Number five, I have the men's Royal Rumble match. Love that you've mentioned this. I, I, I was texting you about this the other day. I had to put this match in here because. Absolutely. I had to think about it. It might be my favorite Rumble match. A long time, at least. It, mm, maybe ever. Maybe it's. I. It might be. It just might be my favorite Rumble match. So you know what, it, CJ? It didn't start that way either. No. I remember when they announced Brock was going to be in the Rumble. You and I were like, "What? He hated the it. F he are they doing?" It. We're like, all right, so he's going to come in at number one. He's obviously not going to win the Rumble. We know that. We didn't know how he was going to lose the Rumble. But that, but that part alone, CJ, we were like, it's the Royal Rumble, and we're not going to have the WWE Championship on the line in any sort of match. Which, of course, we knew Brock would win. But we could have had some interesting. We could have had an interesting story going into the Rumble. Who was Brock Lesnar going to face? Maybe he faced Rey Mysterio again. You know, maybe he faced Aleister Black or something. We get that fantasy match like we got with Finn Balor the year before, which was a pretty decent match. Um, so we didn't get that. So at the beginning, we were pissed. But when this Rumble started, and I remember explaining, I remember telling you this that night because I remember watching the whole thing from entrant number one. To the moment McIntyre won the Rumble, booked perfect. Absolutely perfect. Lesnar went out there at number one, dominated the field. There were points where Lesnar was kind of on the ropes. Like when Mysterio and Kofi came out, we were like, all right, two rivals coming out, ganging up on him. Then Big E came out as the muscle. So we're like, oh, they got us on the edge of our seats. And then Brock eliminates all three at the same time. So we're like, oh, whatever. Then Keith Lee comes out at one point. Braun Strowman comes out at one point, we get the same thing. Then both guys get eliminated at the same time. So Brock's dominating the competition. Then we get Ricochet, somebody that Brock is building with, right? Ricochet survives the two minutes. Here comes Drew McIntyre. So we're like, all right, this is... <laughs> so this is probably the WWE title match at WrestleMania, but how do we build it, right? So these two, one second, yeah. Oh, maybe that's somebody upstairs. Anyway, you can edit that out. <laughs> but anyway, so Drew comes out. They have this stare down. Ricochet hits the low blow. Brock sells the Claymore perfectly over the ropes. Eliminated. Minute Make Park blows the roof off the place. The Claymore Drew is, eliminated the, is the best finisher. It is my favorite finisher currently in pro wrestling. Just anything with a kick you can do perfectly. It is Absolutely. A, it is it that they could have done because the big, big heavy favorite going into this match was Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns was the heavy favorite to face, and he was going to face the Fiend originally at WrestleMania for the Universal Title. And you could argue, I remember as great as great as it was when he eliminated Brock. I'm just thinking to myself, okay, that's the Mania match. Even if Drew doesn't win the doesn't win the Rumble right now, 
get through that, in the that, chamber that's, somehow. That's something. that's the mania match that we're gonna have, right. Brock and Drew. But as we go on through the night, now the Rumble match starting to look like the Rumble match. Then we go on. Here comes AJ Styles. Here comes Carl Anderson. Here comes Dolph Ziggler. And at number twenty-one, in a reaction that I have not heard in such a long time, you think you know? Might me. not have. I might not have heard this ever. Friggin' the everybody just collectively in the stadium, everybody at home goes nuts. I lost my mind. There were reports. There were reports everywhere. I'm sorry, I cut you off. There were reports everywhere that Edge is coming back. He's been cleared. I'm like, no, 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 not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. I'm not gonna get my hopes up. And then he doesn't show up, and then I get upset. No, not gonna happen. Never have I been so happy to be wrong in my entire life. It this Never. way, when that happened, and I remember Edge coming out saying, I didn't sign a contract, none of that's happened, which is basically kayfabe saying that they did, and you're kind of holding out hope, but you still well, don't want to be disappointed. He has- he has to lie, and I hate how like some of these people like like Alvarez. As much as I, I do like Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer, but I don't like when they say they're like, "Well, he was lying." Of course, I'm just like because it's it's for the surprise. Do you really think he wants to ruin the surprise? As great as a moment that is, put it this way: if you watch the WWE 24 of Edge, you realize how how much of a secret it really was. Obviously, you have the rumors and all this stuff, but basically now in 2020, any return to pro wrestling is confirmed long before it even happens. This one was one, a classic that was kept secret to the second it happened. And when it happened, CJ, same thing as you. I just remember at that point in the Rumble, I was kind of like, all right, let's get kind of get to 30, whatever. I mean, we, we have our mid-carders in here right now. We have AJ leading the pact, whatever. And then I just hear, you think you know me. I was like, no way, no way. And then he came out and came out. literally I was like, the impossible happened. I this wanted, man's gonna wrestle again. I wanted to cry, honestly. I, did. I wanted to put cry. It, put it I this way: so every time I every time I see that entrance now, I do get a little teary eyed because it's like it's emotional because you never thought it would happen. You know, how and you watch th- the you watch the WWE 24 and you see Beth Phoenix crying in the back, and then you're just mm-hmm. like, okay, now I'm crying. Yeah, when I so, watched when I watched that the 24, I'm just like, okay, I can't help but shed a tear. Like met Beth. You know how many times I've rewatched that Rumble match? As many times as I have. How many times have you rewatched it? I would say almost 10, maybe. Oh I watch a lot. Actually, that's more than me. I've watched it like maybe five times. Okay. But <laughs> but it, that's how good that Rumble was. And then finally, you know, after Edge comes back, you know, you start to get the, the you know, the main event guys into the field, whatever. So I actually enjoyed Seth Rollins' entrance a lot. I enjoyed what he did with the with, with his group, with the AOP and Buddy Murphy, how they kind too. of they kind of took out the field and all of a sudden they got taken out. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, Seth Rollins is like surrounded by everybody. At the end, you had like all the top guys in WWE. You had Randy Orton. You had the final four. You had Orton edge reigns and McIntyre. And you had Orton and edge teaming up Orton trying to turn on edge edge, catching it by edge, basically seeing it coming, him throwing Orton out. There was maybe half a second CJ where I thought edge was winning the Royal rumble. I was like, how could he be top three right now? Like, you get the surprise return. He's going to do something at Mania, but he should have been thrown out 20 minutes ago. I, like, how I, is he I still was, in this? I was shocked that he lasted that long. Like, well, then, not, that, not that he lasted, but that they kept him in there for that long. 
this one. You knew they weren't putting him in the ring with Brock Lesnar. Want to have a third neck surgery? Just go in with Brock. Anyway, but then finally Edge gets eliminated. And and here's the other thing about the Brock uh, part of the match. When Drew Claymore and him over the top rope, I knew right there Drew was winning the Royal Rumble. I was convinced like you that Roman was going to win the match. Which, now looking back on it, would have been the absolute biggest waste of a Royal Rumble if he did. Not yeah. to say that Roman did anything wrong back in Adamania, but that would have been a terrible look. Worse for the company if that happened. Regardless. If, Ro- if Roman Reigns won this Royal Rumble, I wouldn't have put it on this list. I agree. I, 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 I literally would have bashed it, you for it, putting it on the list it, for that it, reason. It may have made number 10 because Edge came back. And Les and Max Lesnar was eliminated by McIntyre, but the fact that McIntyre won, the right guy won, and the, and and that's the crowd, the, thing too. the right the, guy won, the crowd went absolutely nuts. You made a new star. Edge comes back. Lesnar looks like an absolute beast going into WrestleMania, and Drew beating him at WrestleMania only makes his victory that much sweeter. So everything was booked right. It was long term storytelling, uh, which is something they don't do anymore for some reason with certain guys but it was absolutely booked perfectly this is what i i boil that royal rumble down to and then we'll move on brock lesnar enters his number one as the champion right needs to prove to himself he can last the field and win the rumble brock lesnar like you said looks like a beast right everybody's interested they bring all of brock's rivalries of the year into that match and they introduce possible new rivalries with guys like Keith Lee, but they bring Braun Strowman in, they bring Rey Mysterio in, they bring Kofi Kingston in, all guys that have been wronged by Brock Lesnar. Brock ends up taking them all out. They bring Ricochet in, then they bring Drew in. Also keep in mind, Brock did not overstay his welcome in the Rumble because we, while we enjoyed it, we're like, they can't keep this up much longer. We're going to get bored. They did not overstay his well, welcome. He was, th- was going to pass He got out. eliminated. Yeah, right. Well, that's the other thing too. Right, if he had gone on to number thirty, we would have been bored with it. But the fact that it was like number sixteen or whatever, we were still pretty interested. He got eliminated at the right time. Got eliminated by the right guy. The building was convinced Drew was winning the rumble. Then after that, you had your good guys, your bad guys. You had the return of the decade. Nothing's gonna top this one with Edge coming back. Nothing. My you had opinion. the return, the the return of our lives, and the, the greatest only reason pro wrestling that- return ever. Put that ahead of Daniel Bryan is because it was revealed beforehand and they had a few weeks to build up to his match. Exactly. Bryan's return would have been so much better if they didn't just announce it. Now, don't get me wrong. The return was emotional. I loved every minute of it, but Edges was better because it was a surprise. Literally, I remember Daniel Daniel Bryan, because I was in New York when it happened. I got the alert on my phone. Daniel Bryan has been cleared to return to the ring. Um, We'll announce it tonight on SmackDown. Um, and he did, and it was great. But again, Edges was a secret, which you yeah. don't see anymore. Yeah, That's why you. it was better. So so anyway, then you have Edges return. Then you have all the guys come in. You build the final five to four perfectly, and the right guy won. Start to finish, perfect. Probably the best Rumble I've ever seen. I say it all the time. I don't know which one I marked out for more. When Edge came back, when Drew eliminated Brock... Or when Drew won the Rumble, just everything was perfect about this. I was. I would think. I think all three were. I, I think I'd marked out the most for Edge. <laughs> Expect it. it. Rumor this, rumor that. It doesn't matter. No one knew he was in the building. If you watch the WWE 24, nobody knew he was there. No one. It's all rumor and speculation. So you actually see it. 
But again, everybody can everybody can have rumors and speculation, all that, but nothing was confirmed. Maybe a few people in that company knew he was there. People started to find out he was there when he was walking to Gorilla in his gear. That's when everyone found out. Oh my God, Edge is here. You saw Kevin. Owens. No one knew he was there. Kevin Owens' reaction. You saw Becky Lynch's, Lynch's reaction. reaction. She's like, Oh my God, he looks so great. He look. He looks pretty good. And then again, <laughs> and. and there better not be one person that said, oh, I knew he was there. No one knew he was there. No. You had a feeling he might have been there. But when his music hit, you were surprised as somebody who never thought it was coming. You don't know. So again, know. again, like you said, I agree with you. I think it's perfect at five. I might even put it at four, but I'll, I'll keep it at five just because it was the Royal Rumble. And it, you normally don't put it as a top match. It so was, I'll keep it at five with you. I agree. It was just so great. Next. A lot of time on the Rumble. Yeah, a lot of time. Well, it was so good. Next, well, there was a lot to break down. There was. Next is Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi, main event of Wrestle Kingdom 14, night one. Meltzer claims that this was the best match to have at Wrestle Kingdom. To me, it's the third best. And that's a bit of a spoiler for the next few number of matches. This match saw a dark side of Kota Ibushi, which is something I actually really, really enjoyed. Your listeners of this podcast, you know how much I love Kota Ibushi, how much of a big fan I am of Kota Ibushi, and he, he's one of my favorite guys in Japan. Um, getting to see him and Naito uh, fight for the Intercontinental Championship at Madison Square Garden was absolutely amazing. So... This was to determine the double champion, the first ever double champion in New Japan's uh, pro wrestling's history. Tessie. Hold on, if it was the double champion, that's night two, not night one. I think you said night one. Well, it the first two matches had to happen. Naito and Jay White, and then Ibushi and Okada, those two matches had to determine who was going to be at the end of the double champion. The double champion was oh, the you're following. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. That I may have phrased that incorrectly, sorry. But the following night was to determine the uh, double champion. But it was the... I can't remember what they called it to begin with. But Who cares? We, we know what it is. But this match... I was like... I remember... I, I wanted Ibushi to win, but I remember thinking to myself, Naito had been talking about being a double champion for so long that it's probably going to be him. And again, we saw a much darker side of Cody Ibushi in this match. You know, as usually, you know, Ibushi's very, he's babyface, and he'd let people kind of get up, but no, he was smacking the, the shit out of Okada. He's kicking him hard in the face, chopping him back. Like, we kind of saw a, a heel Kota Ibushi, and that's something I really, really liked. Really liked I wouldn't even really lot. call it a heel Kota Ibushi. I would call it more of a desperate Kota Ibushi, where it's kind of like, you know, you expected him to win the G1. He was your favorite to win the G1 all from year. The, from the start. Uh, from from the beginning. And you had guys like Moxley in there, too, that was a dark horse. But you, with AEW, you weren't sure. He was your favorite from the beginning. He wins the G1. Now he has this championship match. I wouldn't really call it a... I would call it a dark side. I wouldn't call it a heel side. I would call it more of a, when am I ever going to get this opportunity again? And that's what he was kind doing. That's what he was doing. You that's know. why I agree. I loved it so much more for that reason. They didn't make him look like the good old baby face Kota Ibushi. I'm going to do it my way. He had to play a little dirty. And that's what he was doing. And I had to think to myself, there's no way they're not going to have this huge main event to determine the first ever double champion in their history without Okada being in the main event. There was no way they were going to do that. Right. 
It, and, it was like the Garden Show. You weren't going to have the main event without Okada. Exactly. And it was a fantastic match. It was hard-hitting. I mean, it's Kota Ibushi and Kazuchika Okada. They're two of the best wrestlers in the world. And Okada, you can argue, still being the best wrestler in the world today. It was... It's been a while since I've seen this, but I still think it's one of the best matches that's happened this year. It was hard-hitting, fast-paced. It was brutal and hard to watch at some points, just how nasty Kota Ibushi was being. But, I mean, did you get a chance to see this? Did you see mostly highlights or whatever? Uh, mostly highlights, but from what I saw, it was very good. And again, I mean, you you pointed out before, I think my favorite part of the match was the fact that Obushi was acting a little dirty and that he, he needed to get the extra leverage over, a, you know, a dominant and well-recognized champion. Because again, he's thinking, when am I going to get this opportunity again? You know, I had to win the most grueling tournament I've ever been in. You know, I'm not going to come into this as my as my old strategy or my old self because that's what he's expecting. Mm-hmm. I actually think it threw some of the fans in Japan off a little bit. And I think that's what makes for better matches and better he television. Booed. He was getting booed. He was getting booed in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. Which like fans in the Tokyo Dome? Pe- people love people love Kota Ibushi, and the fact that he was able to get booed in this match is a real testament of just how great of a character he can play. Just again, I mean, it also shows Japan that he could play a heel one day. Yeah, he could. He could be. A, he could be a top heel, especially Naito being a babyface now. I I, th- I think you know you need you need some more heels here and there. But overall, I agree with you. I think I I think this match sits perfectly at four. I would agree with that. I think so. But my opinion, not Meltzer's, this match, I think, was... Not Meltzer's. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I like Dave Meltzer. Uh, but the following match, I just thought was a lot better. It is the main event of Night 2, Wrestle Kingdom. Kazuchika Okada versus Tetsuya Naito. This, I, I'm, I love New Japan Pro Wrestling, I love Ibushi, and I love Naito. They're two of my favorite guys in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And Naito is a guy who has been very popular with the fans for a very long time. A few years ago, he was in the position where he won the G1, and he was super over. He was white hot. And I remember listening to uh, Don Callis on Jericho's podcast, and they were kind of reviewing the show and doing predictions and everything. And Don Callis was saying, he's like, you know, Naito is really over right now, and... He he had won the G1. Apparently, he had lost his position. Like, previously, he had won the G1 as well. And he had lost his position to be in the main event. Like, New Japan did some kind of poll, and he lost it. Because, I don't know, he wasn't over at the time. And he... Don Cal's just pretty much saying, like, you know, if, if it's not this Wrestle Kingdom, if it's not this match, then when will he become champion? And throughout the entire summer, he was just talking about, I want to be double champion, I want to be double champion, the first ever double IWGP champion. And it culminated to that. And when I remember them announcing, I'm just like, it's got to be them. Like, this is it. This is Naito's time. I remember watching this, and I was just so emotionally invested because I remember that feeling. It was like, I want Naito to win. I wanted him to win all those years ago. And now he finally is in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom against Okada again. And this time, he beats Okada. There are several points in the match where I thought they're just going to put the tail on Okada, and they're just be like, "All right, that's it." You know, Okada's the greatest ever. But the thing is, in the story, Okada doesn't. It's not a matter of being double champion; it's a matter of winning. Naito wanted to be double champion for a long time; he wanted to be the first ever to do it, and he did it. In one of my favorite matches he's ever had, 
Probably my favorite match Naito's ever had, other than the Ibushi match at Madison Square Garden. I and, agree with a lot of what you just said because I mean I remember the couple of years before when Naito was in the main event with Okada and he lost, and it's one of those shocked. things where it's like, how much bigger does it get? I mean, you you, you won the G one, which again is as for those who don't know is one of the most grueling wrestling tournaments you could be in. Mm-hmm. Wins the G one, loses the championship match in the Tokyo Dome, and now it's kind of like. All right, how much bigger does it get? Now it, it's basically Japan's second chance to not right or wrong. I mean, Okada's one of the greatest ever, maybe the greatest ever. So this was their way, I think, of writing that wrong and of like, now it's his time. Now it's it's kind of like um, when Omega finally beat uh, Okada at Dominion. You know, he wins the G1 the year before, loses the match. I, I'm pretty sure they went to a draw at the Dominion before that. Correct me if I'm wrong. They did. They did. And they had Ome- like that 70 Ome- minute draw. And the third match, Omega beat Okada in the G1 tournament. And, right. Finally wins at Dominion. So it was kind of that sort of feeling where it's like he finally beat Okada. You see, Okada's one of those guys where it's like he's so good at being dominant, but at the same time, he's also so good at putting the right people over at the right times. Absolutely. Yes. So. And and that's what I think this match gave you. And there were a lot of points too where I agree, where I thought Okada was going to be a double champion. He was going to win. He's the best ever. But then obviously there were a lot of other points in a match. And obviously at the end when it happened where it was time to pass the torch. And there will be a time when Okada is the man again, obviously. We learned that at the Garden uh, last year mm-hmm. when, uh, Jay White had to, when Jay White gave the belt to Okada. So there'll be that time again, which again, he's one of those guys that can do both roles very well, put the right guys over and also be dominant at the same time. And he is one of few that's able to do that. And what was really great at the end of the match, at the end of the, you know, Naito got on the mic, cut a promo. And as great as the moment was, as great as the moment was that he won, then that son of a bitch, Kenta comes in, attacks him. And holds both championships sitting on top of Naito. That's also Playing. non-traditional in New Japan to do. It's it, it is non-traditional, but it's the fact that you know he's in Bullet Club and Bullet Club is a proper heel faction again. It's it made people hate Kenta, and Kenta is so so damn good at being a heel. I was legitimately I, not legitimately, but I was pissed. I'm like, ah, oh, come on, <laughs> but. But I thought that's, to myself, that's what they were going for. That but, was the point. But it is what they were going for, and it's like they want because that's Naito's next. That's Naito's next uh, challenger. That's for the belt, and he ended up beating him. I never saw that match, but he ended up beating him for it. So everything going in, the stakes were high. People wanted Naito to win, and he did win, and it was the right guy to win. Um, I guess moving on to number two, and this was my favorite match at Wrestle Kingdom this year. Will Ospreay versus Hiromu Takahashi, Wrestle Kingdom 14, Night 1 for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Think if you have a top 10 list without Will Ospreay, you just shouldn't do this at all. I mean, Will Ospreay hasn't had as many matches this year because, honestly, you could have made a top 10 list last year, the best matches of 2019, with just Will Ospreay. That's how damn good he is. That is... Just how damn good Will Ospreay is. My I'd money, like him to face Randy Orton right now. No, keep him in New Japan. Like I want, I want Osprey to be in New Japan for like a long, long time. Osprey, I don't want the match to happen in WWE. I just want it to happen. <laughs> I think Osprey. I said last year for my money, he was the best wrestler in the world, and 
arguably, you can, you can still argue that he is the best wrestler in the world. This match was, uh, was a returning Hiromu Takahashi. He had suffered a neck injury from uh, Dragon Lee at a, um, a New Japan show in the States. I think he was gone for like maybe a year and a half, almost two years maybe. And Will Ospreay had that amazing match against Hiromu Takahashi. For my money, the best match of the year last year. Um, in the end of the G1... No, I'm sorry, the best of Super Juniors tournament. And then he beats Dragon Lee for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship at Dominion. Another amazing match. Holding it all the way to this. This... Again, it shows why I think Will Ospreay is probably the best wrestler in the world. He is only... He's about my age, I believe. I think he's 25, 26. He proves just how damn good he is. And apparently, uh, this is from an interview he did on WrestleTalk, that the Bucks and Kenny came to him at Wrestle Kingdom the previous year and, and told them that they were leaving, what they were doing. He's like, it's up to you now. You are the. It's it's up to you to fill that spot that Kenny had, and it's your time now. This is all on you, and we believe in you. We we have faith in you, and and obviously, it could because there was something missing when Kenny was leaving New Japan. That style of match was missing, and Will Ospreay stepped up big time. He stepped up big time, and especially in this match. Um, I would agree with you on that. I don't know if this is one you got to see either. Or... It's one I really didn't see, so I'm not going to say whether I would keep it at two or not because I didn't see it, but I will take your word for it. I mean, it's a Will Ospreay match. I mean, it, it, there really isn't that many bad ones in a Will Ospreay match. So there, There's um, really no I, bad Will Ospreay match. I mean, again, there there are many... Put it this way. When there are... When, when you try to put wrestlers together, it's like, all right, what fantasy match would you have? And a lot of the matches have to do with Will Ospreay. I mean, I think you're doing your, I think you've mastered your craft pretty well. I mean, Osprey has been able to add more to his moveset than instead of just being a high-flying guy. He still does some high-flying stuff, but he's not just a high-flying wrestler anymore. He's now in the heavyweight division. I mean, he's got the Oscutter, obviously. He's got the Stormbreaker. Um, and I can't remember that move he does where he just whacks his forearm or back of his elbow onto the, someone's head. Uh, I can't remember death. I can't remember the name of it, but he's been able to add more to his move set and just evolve as a wrestler. And for my money, probably still the best wrestler in the world today. Uh, definitely go back and watch this if you haven't gotten a chance to see it, but I guess that leaves into Number one, and I hope you've seen this. I'm pretty damn sure you've seen this. It's Omega and Page versus the Young Bucks at Revolution. Please tell me. Surprise? Please tell I, uh, No, I have. I, oh, I'm actually God. surprised that I didn't think you were going to put this at one. I understand why you did. The match was great. Why didn't you um, think I, would put, I wouldn't put it at one? You know what? I don't know. I mean, I, I saw the list last night, or the majority of it at least, and I was thinking, I'm like, all right, this definitely deserves to be on the list, but I was thinking more three or four. I agree with you. It was great, um, and I probably would keep it at one. I just didn't think you were going to put it at one. I mean, it was a tag match. Did you think um, I was going to put Firefly Funhouse? 
It was some moments, yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, and listen, I'm not disagreeing with you. This match stole the show at Revolution. Um, it's match and, of the year. And, right, and I'll let you. I'll let you explain first, but it, it's probably we're going to agree on exactly what you say. So go ahead. Just this match, I have watched back at least ten times. I love it that much. I was, I knew it was going to be good. I knew it was going to be very interesting. I knew that it was going to be, it's young, it's the Young Bucks, Hangman Page, Kenny Omega. We all knew it was going to be great. I don't think we expected it to be this great. I remember I wasn't watching the pay per view live. I was out, and uh, my buddy Nate, who's a former guest on this podcast, was texting me. He's like, "Dude, Omega Page and the Bucks was insane." I'm like, dude, I'm not watching. Please don't tell me what happened. <laughs> um, but it was so... If you are a fan of these guys, watching all the way from their days in Ring of Honor and New Japan and being the elite, everything, everything was intertwined and connected. Everything. You know, the the, the promo segment they had on Dynamite the, the Wednesday before where, you know... You know, Hangman. He's on. A, he's been drinking a lot, and he's and he's gotten over, and he's become a star. And the Bucks have said how Hangman's like, "What's with you, man? You know, you were a jobber in Ring of Honor before we brought you. In the, we brought you in the Bullet Club, and you're a star now because of us." And Hangman's like, oh, "I'm a star. Oh, I was a jobber in Ring of Honor. Well, you know what? This is the greatest accomplishment in my. This is the greatest accomplishment in my career as he's holding the title. And I'll be damned if you guys think you're just going to come in and take it from me." And Kenny's very much like in the middle because these are his best friends. What do I do? He's the middleman. He's the he's like Paige is my partner, but the Bucks are my best friend. They're all my best friends, and it got heated, and there was it was heated between Matt Jackson and Hangman Adam Page, just getting in each other's faces. When at one point where Hangman threw Nick Jackson into the corner and said, "I want him," and he pointed at Matt, where Hangman was going, he was going a little too far, and he wanted to throw. Put Nick through the table. Kenny had to be the voice of reason to tell him to stop. Hangman Adam Page was so over in this match, in the sh- a hot, white hot Chicago crowd. It was, and it was. We talked about Pack and Omega earlier. It's amazing that Kenny Omega had that brutal of a match with Pack, and then to have this one, an even better match. This the following Saturday. Makes you think how damn good. He's later. He he wrestled a thirty plus minute match with Pac and then went out three nights later and had the match of the year. Like how damn good is Kenny Omega? Like Jesus Christ Almighty. CJ, this match, like I said, it stole the show at the pay per view. The pay per view was great. I mean, Cody MJF was good. Jericho and uh, Moxley, I thought was a good main event. This match stole the show, hands down. If you disagree, you're just wrong. I mean, either you're wrong or you didn't watch. Because this match in particular, like you said, had everything in it. All the history, all the current stuff that's going on. They also bring up the idea that Hangman isn't over the Jericho loss at All Out. You've become a different person ever since. No, I'm not a different person. It's just I have this and you're not taking it from me. Kenny Omega as the middleman. What do I do? Kenny's my partner. These guys are my best friends. They've been my best friends forever sort of thing. So... And you also had uh, points. Even you know what CJ and this just came across. Even the end of the match, the match yeah. is over. They turn- and Hangman is sitting on the top, is sitting on the apron, and you think he's about to do the buckshot Larry on Kenny. Even that part was awesome. And there's a nice little homage to Marty Skrull, the super kick to the to the thigh, 
And then he's waiting to get up. He does the kick, spin, chicken wing. Like, even little little things like that. Little things like that. A callback to Marty Skrull, to a guy who they would love to have in AEW right now, but unfortunately he's still in Ring of Honor, re-signing with them. But it's things like that. And then the Bucks, it may have been my favorite part of the match because I just lost my mind when it happened. When the Bucks hit the golden trigger to Kenny. The biggest spit, oh, yes. biggest spit in the face to Kenny Omega. It wasn't that, but, but you know what? But, it was funny when they but, hit the golden trigger on Kenny, and, and they go for the pin. One and he kick out. out at one. Ordinarily, I would. I I am not a fan of people just kicking out at one and be like, oh, but for some reason, I just lost my mind. I'm like, oh my god! And they did it again because it, it, it makes sense it to do it there. It was just. Everything was perfectly done, and it just goes to show the Young Bucks are the best tag team in the world. All these guys are some of the best wrestlers in the world, and it goes to show that the AEW tag division is the best tag team division in the world. It's a true alternative. It's arguably the the, the best pro wrestling uh, company in the world at the moment. Just everything. I, I love, you know... I think it was Matt kicking out of the buckshot V trigger, uh, Hangman doing the one winged angel, one winged angel to whether it was Matt or Nick, just almost getting the the pinfall. Matt Jackson hitting the the Northern Light suplexes on Hangman Page on the the walkway, uh, just, <laughs> and then finally Hangman Page hitting the buckshot lariat to finish the match. Everybody kind of embraces each other. And you talked about a few minutes ago about how Hangman almost hits the buckshot lariat on Kenny Omega. It was, for my money, the best match on the card. It's the best match of the year and best tag match of the year. Just everything about this was absolutely amazing. I can't say enough about how much I love this. I agree. And you know what? I'll keep it at one. Now that I've thought about it, that it's at this point is match of the year. I mean, and again, it was, I think it's going to stay that way. It's going to, I think it's going to stay that way. Cause you, again, you had these stories. And on top of that, we mentioned it before Kenny Omega wrestled an Iron Man match three days before, and then went out three nights later and had the match of the year, probably sore and bruised up and went out and had the match of the year with the young bucks and hat and hangman on a page. This goes to a testament and, how good Kenny Omega is. And it also goes to show just how good Hangman Page is in the spotlight. I mean, don't get me wrong. His main event match in All Out against Jericho was good. But this showed that he is able, under the brightest lights, under the most pressure, to deliver. And he did. It's the best match of his career. Absolutely. There's nothing that's going to top this. Not for a while, at least. No, not for a while. And Meltzer gave it six stars. Again, what do you think of Meltzer's opinion or not? I'm not basing this off of Meltzer's star ratings. Because, excuse me, I don't think they were crazy with the Firefly Funhouse match, Meltzer and Alvarez. But for me, this was the best match of the year. He gave it six stars, so the Bucks and Paige are now in the six-star club with Kenny. Um, But it was absolutely amazing. I loved every second of this match, and I really can't wait to see how the rest of the story unfolds. Gonna have to wait, given the current circumstances. But, yeah. That's our list. See it in the, you'll see it in the blood and guts match. I'm sure. Hopefully. That's our list. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
real quick before we wrap up and we'll wrap up in a few minutes something else that we need to get to um the current WWE 24-7 champion is playing football again. He has been traded from the Patriots to the Buccaneers. That man is Rob Gronkowski. Um, not going to go too in-depth on this because this isn't really a sports podcast or whatever. I mean, it's a wrestling podcast, but obviously it's it's a, it's a tricky situation. CJ, the WWE, and I'll pull this picture up, they tweeted couple hours after the trade was official, and I quote, Congratulations to at Rob Gronkowski, the current WWE 24-7 champion, on his return to football. Per the rules of the 24-7 title, Gronk must defend his championship at all times in any location. You could be celebrating a touchdown pass from at Tom Brady anytime, anywhere. So WWE, I think, is just poking a little bit of fun at this. I don't really anticipate that scenario actually happening. Um, I think it's just the WWE poking fun at the situation, but... uh, just real quick, CJ, before we wrap up, your thoughts on uh, Gronk's quick WWE career as he heads back to the NFL. Goodbye and good riddance. Is that all? Yeah, pretty much. I, I think okay, Gronk, perfect. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> I, I think Gronk's a total idiot. I don't like him. It's weird because they said that he signed this this contract, and I, I guess it wasn't that big of a contract if he's allowed to just walk back to the NFL. Uh, but nonetheless, I guess we'll get more information on that soon. So that'll wrap it up for us. Um, obviously, as I, I previewed a little bit before, CJ, I really do want to do this list with you. Uh, top 10. Uh, we'll do that. Top 10 wrestlers um, and tag teams will count as one uh, that should have never left NXT. I really think we would benefit from that list. Hell yeah. Let's be the, let's be the next one. Perfect. So we'll get started on that. We'll probably do it at some point next week or something like that. So sounds good. With that, and with that being said, wait. Well, sorry, CJ. Go ahead. Oh, no, please, no, no. I was saying, go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, please remember, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Anchor.fm. Please follow us on at TNAWP on Twitter, the Not Another Wrestling Podcast on Instagram. Like us on Facebook at the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. We hope you're all hope you all enjoyed this episode. This list. Uh, and please stay safe. Absolutely. So for Sean McChesney. And CJ Palmasano. We'll see you next time.